Ladies, gentlemen, or what have you, I'm Orion Lavelle. And I'm Travis Mattingly. And you're listening to Tooth and Nail, a monstrous podcast, where today we're going to be talking about some ghost stuff. We're going to crack open the ghost, a big old can of ghost. Save me, I've got nothing. We're coming at you from the depths of a dark and spooky ruin. Crack open the sarcophagus and let us surround you with our spookiness. Cool. Great save. Yeah, no problem. Uh, by which I mean we're going to be talking about Banshees on this episode. We're going to be looking at 5th edition Banshees. Travis, this is our yeah. first undead. Yeah. This is our first undead guy. Yeah, um, it's our first spooky monster. Yeah, I was thinking about it. I, I know when we did Abolus, I said that Aberrations might be my favorite type of monster. I actually, on second thought, I think I like undead a little bit more. Uh, and the reason Which for that... Which is funny, because in that episode, we kind of were like, there's only so much you can do with Undead. <laughs> yeah, well, I was thinking about it a little bit more, and Undead has, like... So, they're they're very versatile, right? So you have zombies and vampires and specters and all that sort of thing. And when you get to Undead, they're usually... Uh, I, I feel like the theming is a little bit more relatable and uh, human, yeah. you know? So, like, vampires are about, you know... Uh, greed, unchecked greed, and kind of unbound lust, and then zombies are like, you know, the, the like, the mindless, kind of all-consuming thing, like this endless hunger, uh, and I don't, maybe it's because everything that is undead was once a person, I, I feel like the, the human nature of these monsters, the reason why they're relatable to people, is a little bit clearer. Yeah, most, if not all, undead creatures are kind of uh, representative of the consequences of the human condition in yeah, some way. Yeah, or something like that. So, mechanically, the deal with undead writ large, and especially with spectral undead, is that they tend to have a lot of resistances to a lot of conditions and damage types in accordance with their physical form being all janky and ghost weird. So, like, <laughs> like constructs, a lot of undead are immune to being poisoned and poison damage, they also have resistances to a lot of common damage types like necrotic and cold damage and are often flat out immune to things like frightened and exhaustion. All of these things being things that living things do. Yeah, how are you going to scare a ghost? How are you going to make a ghost tired? Yeah, right? You can't. I dare you to try. <laughs> you ever see the zombie sweat? I don't think so. Nuh-uh. <laughs> Put him in a first date. <laughs> zombie going to start sweating. <laughs> Get a zombie into that small talk. Do you like walks on the beach? Mm-hmm. How do you like long walks in the crypt? Ah. Uh. <laughs> so, like, uh, so that's the one half of it. The other half of it is there's a whole lot of, once we get into the bulk of undead, we'll find a lot of just revenants and specters that must fulfill their past regrets and linger on as a result, which can get kind of tedious. But I forgot that, like, oh, man, vampires and zombies. I forgot that there was a little bit more to undead than just ghosts. Right. Z where's Where's the beef? There is no beef, it's a ghost. There is no beef, it's a ghost, yeah. <laughs> Let's move on! So yes, yeah, so Banshees. Again, keeping with that theme of human nature being corrupted in some way, it's nice to have a creature that highlights the central human flaw with Banshees, which is vanity. So Banshees, they're the corrupted spirits of especially beautiful lady elves. Uh, for the modern era, the lady bit could probably be dropped and nobody would miss it. It's just kind of a vestige of the traditional Banshee being feminine yeah. in, 
in terms of their artistic representation, Banshees, they look like pretty female elves kind of put through a Ringu filter. So <laughs> the one we have on the page here is this wispy, luminous, and spectral female form dressed in tattered clothes with this long, tangled mass of white hair. There's a lot of, uh, in the artistic representation, there's a lot of Tempest imagery going on. Yeah. So the book describes the Banshee's wispy, uh, the, I, so I, in my notes, I use the word wispy twice because the book used the word wispy twice, which feels, you know, boo. <laughs> but, uh, it describes the clothes as fluttering and streaming around the Banshee as if it was in strong wind. And the artistic representation that we get looks as though it's standing in wind as well. And I actually think this is my favorite artistic representation that we've had of a creature so far. So we get the wind imagery, which works as kind of like an invocation of a scream, which, you know, what with wind wailing and all that. And we'll see in a second, the act of wailing is very important to Banshees. Oh, yeah. Second, uh, in our artistic representation here, we have in the background this picture of a gnarled, petrified dead tree from behind the Banshee, which A, reflects the splayed, spindly form of the Banshee as well. The Banshee itself has arms and uh, its skin is kind of cracked like bark, and the arms are clawed, suggesting thorns or branches. I was going to actually ask what your interpretation of all of that was, all of these weird veiny lines across the skin yeah i read it as like bark uh because my my theory is with the way that the banshee is portrayed between the scare like the wind and the dead tree it the banshee evokes this kind of deathly inverted natural world which is neat because elves traditionally are nature creatures right so like the common elf is this expression of nature being elegant and pretty so it makes sense that an undead version of an elf would be oppositional in that way. It would be all of the deathly kind of horrific side of nature. Yeah. Which yeah, like that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I get that. It makes sense. It's kind of obvious, but compared to angels, which are just hot dudes with wings, and Azer, which are just worms <laughs> but on fire, it's nice to see a little bit of theming going on with the art that we have. Yeah. Also, uh, were it not for the Aarakocra, this would be our first creature with pupils. Oh yeah. Really not. Weirdly, I don't know if it's just the way the art is. Only one. Yeah. Well, I think it's just uh, the the hair in front of the 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 other eye. Oh, I. It looks sort of like the other eye is pitch black. Does it? I don't have the picture in front of me. I'm just going off a of memory. Yeah, it sort of looks like one eye is pitch black and the other eye is like held open and horrific, horrific. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> but I don't know. It's just kind of a. It looks sort of like a corruption motif in the art. Sure. So, in terms of the lore, Banshees are the spirits of Lady Elves who were blessed with great beauty. However, instead of bringing joy to the world, ostensibly, I don't know, by being pretty, it kind of suggests, like, hot elves are just supposed (laughs) to be models. Yeah. If you got it, flaunted is one of the elf commandments, is what I wrote down. (laughs) So, instead of being pretty elf models... These elves used their beauty to manipulate other people, Ted Bundy style. So, elves afflicted by the Banshee's curse experience no gladness. They feel only distress in the presence of the living. Slowly, their minds and bodies decay until they turn into undead monsters. Which, you know, is a good metaphorical representation of a real-ass thing that happens in toxic, abusive, controlling, manipulative relationships. Again, compared to the Azer, which is greedy and glows. (laughs) Well, I mean, sometimes that's a big mood, but... (laughs) So the way that the 
the paragraph goes, it introduces this idea of a banshee's curse without actually detailing what exactly that is. So it's hard to say whether or not that's how a banshee comes into being or if that's what a banshee does to another thing or if, mm. right? Yeah. Yeah, this banshee's mm. curse, it doesn't, it doesn't exactly unfold itself. Yeah, I would imagine that it's just, it's like an aff- the affliction causes you to turn into a banshee turn into a banshee so then I, are elves just cursed so like the way the the previous paragraph makes it sound like elves have the choice to be shitty people and thus turn into <laughs> banshees the second paragraph suggests that there's some weird banshee curse that goes on that just pops you into a banshee huh or once you turn into a banshee you curse other elves and this thing yeah, is unrelated I, I think that's kind of what it is. I think it's like banshees are created by dead elves, but then banshees can also create more banshees. Yeah. Or like, it's like, uh, it's Helsing style. It's vampires and ghouls. How vampires can just make ghouls. Make like lesser banshees. Yeah. I don't know. It's regardless, none of these things are expressed mechanically in the creature stat block. So there's no curse going on or like weird undead turning shit or anything so i don't really know what to make of it yeah it's just i guess it's just another narrative device for you to figure out by yourself ah yes (laughs) that's exactly what i want in a monster manual yeah it's definitely a thing that they kind of do a lot though so so i i I, I think the the second way is the way i would do it is that they could kind of turn elves they could infect elves with vainness almost yeah i i think that's the best read of it yeah, uh, because I, I prefer Bansheeification being, you know, a, a punishment rather than just a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hard to say. So, Banshees are, in accordance with the grand tradition of specters, bound to the place of their death, unable to go farther than five miles from it. They are forced to relive their lives in perfect detail, but will never accept responsibility for their actions. So, the distance limit, the being stuck near the place where you fell is a little meaningless unless you're running away from it, but you gotta have your bind, right? Uh, you're a ghost, you're bound to your place. I think that has to do with how D&D categorizes ghosts and spectral things writ large. I think to Wizards of the Coast, being, you know, having an unresolved will and being stuck in your past is part and parcel for being a ghost, which kind of paves over the frustration of finding a lot of specters who are stuck in the past and have that lingering will kind of thing. Is there, mm, I guess a ghost could just be a ghost. I was going to say, like, what? what's the other reason you could, like, give a ghost to just be around, though, right? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of, yeah, that is just kind of what a ghost is. It's this remaining thing, you know, it's regret taking shape. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> what the fuck was that? I know it was, I know it was <laughs> Delson the cat, but why? <laughs> He had climbed up onto the desk, climbed over my computer and my mic, and was sitting there about to start scratching the desk. So I grabbed him and picked him up over my computer, and he just flipped shit. (laughs) I might leave that in, because that's a great uh, introduction to the cat that you have. (laughs) Yeah, wow. (laughs) That was, he's usually a lot more chill when I pick him up. That was horrific. Yikes. So the the book expressly details that Banshees will never accept responsibility for their actions, which is a shame 
Because it curtails a non-violent way to get the Banshee to atone for its crimes in, like, a witchery kind of way. I think that would have been... I think as somebody who enjoys The Witcher and how The Witcher deals with monsters, that might be... I can imagine a fun little side adventure where, like, you can in some way resolve the Banshee's shittiness and send it on its merry way into the afterlife without having yeah, to just murder it. Instead, yeah, instead of it being... It's the non-violent ending to the quest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I Again, that might be another detail that the Banshees have that I would just drop uh, for yeah. a, a scene that I think would be fun. Yeah, for sake of entertainment. Yeah, and especially because Banshees are very dangerous, as we'll get to in a second, it might be... I, I think it would be very nice and tense to have a scene where... You know, you're trying to do something nice for a creature that can kill you in a fucking second. Yeah. So Banshees, they maintain their vanity after death, being creatures of vanity. Thus, they covet beautiful bubbles and statues and other works of art. I kind of love the idea of a Banshee, like a cat burglar Banshee, just hovering into a museum <laughs> and hovering out with the Venus de Milo. <laughs> that would be amazing. Oh, taking this. My, my unresolved issues are I didn't steal everything in this town. Yeah. I, I kind of like that as an adventure hook, you know, or ghost stole my emerald. <laughs> and then it becomes, so like, it's nice that you get something that could be an adventure hook and then also some layer detail all in one, right? So this is A, uh, assuming you're being ridiculous like Orion and you're having your thief <laughs> ghost, uh, you have an adventure hook. And then also you have a little a little snippet of notes uh, that helps shape how you write the the house of the Banshee, right? Whatever mansion or graveyard or wherever the Banshee's held up, you know that you describe it having a lot of garbage, a lot of pretty garbage in its house. And, yeah, you walk into a crypt and there are valuable paintings and statues strewn about. There's a bunch of begemmed, smashed mirrors <laughs> along the walls. Yeah, it's a real quick way to let you know that something's fucky in this graveyard, right? Mm-hmm. So, smashed mirrors is important. Banshees hate mirrors since they can't bear to look at their new horrifying forms. Supposedly, if they look at themselves, they fly into a rage. This is another detail of the Banshees that I would like to see expressed mechanically in the step block. So, like, uh, flesh golems, they have a trait called berserk, and I would like to see something like that. I get that I can just use my human brain as DM to play a mad Banshee, but I would like some sort of express effect like... I don't know, disadvantage on an attack in exchange for more damage or something. Yeah, or like um, kind of a reckless attacks kind of deal, like how barbarians have, something yeah. like that. Yeah, or like sharpshooter or whatever. Yeah, just something that is slightly detrimental, but gives the Banshee a reason to be angry. Yeah, dude. Like a it, reason to, yeah. <laughs> yeah, to express this mad rage. Also, they don't need air, food, drink, or sleep, you know, undead things. Just one, just one ghost that needs to eat is all I ask. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know. Why not, right? <laughs> if we have uh, a ghost that's an expression of vanity, it might be nice to have like a gluttony ghost. Oh man, that's it, like uh, it's always hungry. Yeah, it would be <laughs> like uh, uh, a bag of holding given form, <laughs> something like that. What's the? I might be misremembering, but doesn't the ghost from Ghostbusters, the Slimer, Slimer? doesn't he eat a lot? I believe so, and it poops out a whole bunch of ectoplasm. Yeah, so it's just like yeah. one ghost that's like, this whole town, all of their food supply is now in short, it's like, it's running low because this ghost came in and started eating it all and pooping ectoplasm all over the place. Yeah, give me a Slimer, D&D. Yeah, come on, D&D. Yeah. 
mechanically, the Banshee is a really fun, really cool mix of neat traits and resistances and really cataclysmically risky attacks. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the Banshee, it's a size medium. It is chaotic evil. It has a really low AC of 12. This is even below what the recommended AC is for any monster for its CR of 4. So it's a, you know, a pretty reasonably leveled monster to have something so minimal for an armored class. Yeah. Moreover, the Banshee seemingly has really low HP as well. It has 58 instead of the recommended 116. However, the way that its resistances shake out, the HP ends up being about average, but we'll get into that in a second. The Banshee has a... It, it only has a fly speed. It has a hovering fly speed of 40 feet, which is faster than some, but slower than some as well, especially when it comes to flying creatures. Flying creatures usually land at about 50 feet. And to clarify, hovering means that if its fly speed is dropped to zero, it doesn't fall. It just remains hanging in the air like a ghost would. Its stats have a couple of interesting qualities. It has a one strength, which like, how's it going to carry yeah. all them paintings and statues? Yeah, I think one strength is less than even like Unseen Servant has. And yeah. that's supposed to be like the weakest thing. Yeah, that's weird. Like, I don't, especially, I don't know, it it's moving stuff around. It it collects stuff. What does what is the bare minimum of strength do? Maybe it's more of a uh, kind of a like a the a ghost, like a force of will of like te- almost telekinesis, but centralized solely in their hand region. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or maybe you can just it's so you know how you can balance a car on an egg. Maybe it's like <laughs> that where it just takes all these paintings, balances it on its head, and just is that good at dexterity. Well, with a strength one, you can probably hold an egg. So you just hold it. It holds an egg and then it <laughs> and balances then everything puts a on, car the egg. on that egg. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> Who needs telekinesis? Uh, so it has a one strength, which is weird. It also has a 17 charisma, which is kind of strange considering its horrifying visage. It kind of suggests having a 17 charisma suggests that D&D is in this instance reading charisma more as like a personal magnetism rather than just straight beauty and physical attraction which is how yeah. i like to see charisma anyway yeah i think so it's it would be unless they were trying to say that <laughs> beauty's in the eye of the beholder uh i'm pretty sure charisma is definitely more of a personality thing yeah once upon a time maybe it was just how pretty you are but these days i think it's it's better more as like a sense of confidence right yeah yeah so the banshee it gets some teensy bonuses to wisdom and charisma saves the big news is that it has a shit ton of resistances and immunities. Check this shit out. It's got resistance to acid, <laughs> fire, lightning, thunder, and bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical weapons, which is really common in ghost-like and otherwise kind of supernaturally resilient creatures like werewolves. But that's not all, folks. Nope. We got immunities. Yeah, listen <laughs> to this. It's got immunity to cold, necrotic, and poison damage, and it can't be charmed, exhausted, frightened, grappled, paralyzed, petrified, poisoned, proned, or restrained. Shit. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why it's ostensibly low HP isn't really a big deal. With all the resistances, the DM guide suggests treating its 58 or whatever HP has effectively doubled, putting it to... 116 effectively so it has technically average hp it's low armor class i'm down with as i've said before i prefer fights where both sides fuck each other up really quickly and less you know miss you know less misses is always something that i'm for yeah 
with the low AC, it turns this fight with a banshee into a game where you, as the party, have to figure out what hurts this thing properly. What what are like the? It would be force psychic. Yes. Are the only two damage types that would uh, you wouldn't have resistance to? Yeah, and then if you have a magic weapon, your right your attacks right, right. work. Uh, the resistance and the and this kind of works out because the resistances for the most part make sense, right? So like you can't burn or you know poison something that doesn't have flesh. Yeah. It gets a little weird with like lightning. I don't know. Lightning feels like it should work. Pop culture kind of has trained me that lightning works on ghosts. And then <laughs> yeah. Paralyze is also kind of weird, which we talked about earlier as like paralyze requiring a biological form, which in D&D parlance, paralyze I guess makes sense. And then frighten kind of makes sense, like sure something that can innately scare terrify something. Probably shouldn't be frightened. Yeah. But for the most part, the resistances are fine. Like, the resistances you can deduce reasonably as a person. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So the way it works is, you as a caster, you have all these damage types available to you. You deduce what works. It does work. You feel like a genius, which is kind of what people who play casters get off on. They get off on the, like, <laughs> the like you know, figuring out how to bend the rules or, you know use their their brains to solve little combat puzzles in that way what with the controlling and all of the other things can confirm yeah so the the whole resistance to non-magical weapon thing falls down a little bit here by the time the party's level four which is when you should be fighting a banshee the ones that use weapons probably have something magical but you know one's mileage may vary depending on the the flow of magic items into the party right yeah Honestly, I'm kind of, I, for some reason in my head when I had thought about the Banshee, I thought it was resistant to non-magical, or, or immune to non-magical weapons. No. I thought, I for some reason I had like oblivion rules in my head, no. where it was just like, no, if it's not magical or silvered, it does nothing. No, and I'm, <laughs> I, I went back and forth in my head as to whether or not I like that. I think I prefer it just being resistant as opposed to immune, because that way no matter what happens, the fighter can still do something, right? is still kind of contributing in some way. That feels like a very old D&D thing to do, I think, is give it immunity. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, it's very elegant in that even if you fuck up and just keep hammering against its resistance the entire fight, the worst case scenario is you're just fighting an average encounter because <laughs> it still will have, you know, about 116 HP. Yeah, it's just like, it's not doing as much damage as you think. Well, I'm going to keep not doing as much damage as I think until it's done. Yeah, and then it just turns into <laughs> a regular fight. So, like, worst case scenario, regular fight. Best case scenario, you feel like a genius because you wipe the floor with this thing that can potentially fuck up your team really bad, which we'll get into in a second. Oh, man. It's my favorite thing. Yeah. Uh, 60 dark vision, whoop-de-fucking-do. It's got <laughs> a pretty bad passive perception of 10. So, like, I like to think that the Banshee is just preoccupied with all of the pretty artwork in its house. Do you think that, uh, <laughs> in this hypothetical you have created, that a Banshee would steal a painting of a beautiful woman and then stare into it as though it were a mirror? Oh, that would be kind of wonderful. <laughs> I think that would be a really, uh, nice way to, you know, put some pathos on your Banshee. This, like, yeah. kind of wistful looking back at what could have been. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be pretty good. I like that. They speak common. They speak elvish. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. I mean, yep. they speak. They speak ghost. Yeah. In terms of traits, banshees get detect life, which allows them to magically sense the general direction of all living creatures up to five miles away from it. And I can imagine this being fun for a stealthy party. 
in this way that they're like trying to Pac-Man their way through the Banshee's house while it's seeking them out. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't realize it was general direction. I thought that it was like No, you can still like hide from it, but it's still like a ring wraith knows yeah. approximately where you're hanging out. <laughs> it, it it's moments like these that I wish D&D had a better or at least more robust stealth system because I think, you know, for the DM who is not used to doing a lot of stealth stuff in their in their sessions, I can imagine this just turning into oh, roll stealth a million times, right? Mm-hmm. So I I wish that there was maybe a a cleaner way to handle stealth in D and mean, like I have a couple ideas, but whether or not now is the time to get into it. <laughs> uh, probably not. I've had a couple ideas nah. as well, but I've I've yet to find something that works really easily. Yeah. It's like easiest case scenario is you actually describe the environment and where they hide gives them a bonus to self or something like that. Yeah, there's but, another way to do it where like depending on what you describe in the environment, you can, you know, do various things like if you describe some a smashed mirror in the corner, then maybe you could throw a rock at the mirror and get the banshee distracted so you could creep away or like, yeah. you know, it just depends on the details as opposed to having an uh, a system for it, but I think D&D kind of needs a system for it. Yeah just a little bit because there's already so much on a dm's back <laughs> yeah so this detect life thing it also allows the banshee to potentially get the drop on the party and this is kind of important because the banshee will find relies on hitting the party really hard and really quickly with a couple of major moves that it will get to in a second so i think the ideal banshee encounter kind of relies on it having initiative or having some sort of surprise round on the party yeah and like there's no reason that you can't do that for sure because like banshees have a 12 intelligence they're not stupid no like, no they could definitely they have the capacity to creep around yeah a lot of people play ghosts kind of mindless and mm. i think that it behooves you yeah to let your ghost have uh, at least a modicum of human intelligence in yes. strategy they're not hollow they're nostalgic <laughs> they're like yeah, obsessively nostalgic they're not mindless <laughs> that's perfect yeah so the Banshee also has a trait common in these spectral creatures called incorporeal movement. It allows the Banshee to move through other creatures and objects as though it were just difficult terrain, taking minor damage if it ends its turn in an object. So this allows the Banshee to set up a plan of attack to ambush the party. So you use that intelligence to kind of end this incredible mobility to ambush or set up the arena in the Banshee's favor. And it also allows the banshee to retreat if the fighters are swarming it. It's a pretty cool trait. However, you know, DM beware, this can get pretty frustrating if the banshee is just playing keep away the entire time. Mm -hmm. the, ba the banshee is fortunately, it doesn't have any long ranged attacks beyond its special moves, which once those are exhausted, the banshee is encouraged to stay within melee range. So keep away stops being an option if you want to do an actual fight. And then again, as DM, you kind of just want to keep the Banshee within attackable range, just so that the yeah. fight doesn't get boring anyway. Yeah, it's with ghosts, it's something you have to definitely just super be careful of, is making sure that you don't make your part Like, you can make your party feel helpless as much as you want, just don't do it too much. Yeah, I think most ghosts follow this trend of not having a long-ranged attack, so you as the DM are not tempted or, you know, dominant strategy does not kind of push you into playing keep away yeah and then again you know as is always the case the effectiveness and the difficulty of the fight will depend heavily on what the environment is shaped like 
So, you know, long corridors with lots of debris and whatnot will favor the Banshee because the party won't be able to maneuver so easily and the Banshee can go wherever it wants, whereas smaller, more open areas will favor the party more because then they can maneuver around the Banshee as they need to, right? Yeah. So, in terms of actions, the Banshee gets some neat-ass shit. What is the current... What's the first least interesting one? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm thinking because the Banshee is very much built on being able to do all of its stuff in tandem with all of its other stuff, I was thinking we just do what they all do first and then talk about how it's used or, like, the analysis later, right? Okay, sounds good. So, firstly, the really boring one. It gets a melee spell attack called Corrupting Touch, which, you know, attaches nicely to the toxic personality thing, the idea of the Banshee being a corruptor. Mm-hmm. It has a below average plus four to hit that does a really wimpy 12 points of damage compared to the average of its challenge rating, which is about 27 to 32. The attack yeah. is wimpy for a reason. Just hang on. We'll get there. <laughs> the next thing that the Banshee gets, it's this action called Horrifying Visage, which causes each non-undead creature to make a below average 13 wisdom save or be frightened for a minute. And the frightened creature repeats its save at the end of each of its turns with disadvantage if the Banshee is still in line of sight, which is another reason for the Banshee not to be constantly hidden behind a wall. Right. But if if they do save in any capacity, they are immune to the horrifying visage for 24 hours. Yes. So the idea is once you burn it, it's more or less done. And then the Banshee's kind of on a time crunch to do, you know, do damage before everybody gets over the the frighten effect. It's also a good... uh, uh, a good excuse for you to make the saving throw and then say, I ain't afraid of no ghosts, because, you know. <laughs> yeah, I guess so, if you're that guy. <laughs> hey, I am. <laughs> this leads us finally to the, the like, the the thing, the Banshee thing, which is whale. Now, Banshees, they can whale... Yes, they can whale once per day, as long as they're not in sunlight, which is kind of a weird detail that doesn't get built around in the lore or whatever, but fuck it. <laughs> What happens is everything that isn't a construct or undead within 30 feet of her that can hear her makes an, again, below average 13 constitution save, or it just drops immediately to zero HP. Holy shit. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. And then level if you... fucking tw- level 20 party. Yeah. And that kind <laughs> Somebody of... Somebody misses a cut save, zero. Yeah. And so that's kind of what makes Banshees useful in later game stuff even if the save is still bad there's still and especially this attack is definitely a shock and awe move it is a really quick like goddamn like it 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 has the cadence of something that is really harsh and as long as one person fails the save everybody's going to be freaked out by banshees for the rest of time so no matter what happens (laughs) the banshee will always be the priority in whatever situation from here until the end of the campaign right yeah, it'll also make them afraid of any specter you ever throw at them. Yeah. Even if it's not a banshee, because you say ghost and everyone is immediately like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if you save, you take a little bit of psychic damage, whatever. This has the cadence of being really broken, right? But I don't think it's as harsh as it initially lets on, right? So the save is really low. The short, there's a really short range, you know, it's only 30 feet. It probably won't target everyone. And D&D is so focused on not killing its players that even if the move goes off, a prepared party can still probably recover just with all the death saves and then also the, the, the damage not being a big deal, right? So 
even yeah. once everybody's dropped or even once you know half your party or whatever is dropped if that even happens the banshee is only going to do 12 damage per round maybe if it hits every time so a prepared party can still likely stay above the damage done by the banshee even if they even if a few pcs are knocked out yeah and like uh it sucks to get knocked out like that but at the same time it's awesome yeah it's... <laughs> and it it for sure is like a remnant of old D where it was like I'm pretty sure Banshees used to just kill you. Yeah. It wasn't a you drop to zero hit points. It was you save or you die. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, this move is still kind of hearkening back to that old save or die sentiment of older yeah. editions of D&D. D- D- it gives the same feeling without the consequences. Yeah. And I think, you know, m- most parties, I think if you adequately uh, impress on the players or the characters to prepare or have, like, some potions or something, you can recover from the whale pretty quickly while still horrifying your characters into action, right? Yeah. And quite honestly, (laughs) quite honestly, if you're playing against, like, a higher-level group of people, you know, where resurrection is pretty easy to come by. Oh, yeah, death isn't a problem. Maybe you turn it into a save-or-die ability. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, why not? (laughs) Like, death ceases to become a problem after, like, 15th level. It's really, honestly, it ceases to be a problem after, like, ninth, because you have, at that point, I think, three different resurrection spells. Yeah. So, sure, why not? If you want to up your, if you want to put a spicy meatball onto that banshee spaghetti, just make him kill. (laughs) Change nothing about the monster except that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, the, The only problem, I guess the only issue that I would potentially have with that is that you know, if you're unconscious, the person playing that character still has a chance of, still has something to do every turn. Whereas once right. you're dead, there's no, like, tension anymore. You're just waiting for the cleric to come over and slap you back up. Right. Yeah, I guess that comes down to, like, how you do resurrection in your game and games and stuff like that. Yeah. Putting it all together, to my mind, this is how a banshee is used, right? So the banshee senses the party because it has detect life. It makes itself known in some way kind of baiting the party into rushing it or like the the fighters the close-up fighters rush it the banshee uses whale drops ideally you know a good chunk of players or a good chunk of characters and then follows that up with horrifying visage to keep all of the remaining party members from a doing damage to the banshee and then b getting to heal all of the drop party members because you know a frightened creature can't move closer to the source of its fear if the Banshee positions itself right, it can probably keep the backline fighters, like the casters, or potentially the cleric, depending on how the cleric is played, from getting closer to healing some of the the characters with potions and whatnot. Yeah. I, thinking about it, uh, so, <laughs> something that's kind of messed up about Whale is that it's one of the few abilities that is, like, super uh, save or die where it's a constitution saving throw. Yes. Which is a saving throw type that only three of the 13 classes in the game get proficiency in. Yeah. And only one of those classes isn't a fighter. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, if you are playing with a group that's like, oh, it's the bard, the druid, the ranger, and the warlock, man. Yeah. (laughs) This is a, this is danger close. (laughs) Yeah. Now that, like, that has become more apparent to me, I it really kind of makes me appreciate how um, relevant monsters remain in later levels because of that. 
Yeah, because I think what this happened with another monster we were talking about. Because, like, if you're not proficient in a saving throw, at level 20, it's still just, like, a plus three for you. Yeah. At best. Yeah. So, like, even at level 20, if you roll that die and it's less than a 10 on the die, you're, you're zero. You're, yeah. <laughs> you're down, bro. Yeah. <laughs> and again, it sounds harsh, but I think the idea is as long as your party is not all clustered together... You're probably only targeting maybe half of the party at a given time. Yeah. Which D&D very much teaches you very early on to not cluster together anyway. <laughs> so by the time you're level four, you know not to do that. And I think yeah. I uh, we'll get to it in a second. But I think the Banshee is a really good monster in that it tests you on pretty much every level, whether or not you know how to play D&D. <laughs> so the Banshee does well. The Banshee does Horrifying Visage. At that point, the Banshee is on kind of a time limit where the idea is the Banshee's trying to finish the party off before the remaining party members can shake off the fright and, and do damage control. So depending on the kind of DM you are, the Banshee at this point will either rush head-on to straight kill the dropped PCs or rush using its incorporeality to kind of outmaneuver the remaining standing characters and whittle them down, especially targeting the frightened ones trying to get the frightened characters down to low HP while avoiding tax attacks. Yeah. And again, the difficulty of the encounter here is directly proportional to the amount of terrain that's closed off to the party, where, like, if the team can't easily get to its dropped members, the Banshee has an advantage, right? So, like, and, and truth be told, I think the book is kind of trying to get you to clutter up the arena in that way by putting a lot of statues and paintings and beautiful works of art in the way, such that the characters can't easily reach each other to heal each other once they're dropped by whale yeah and like with the frighten it's much harder to get through a hallway blocked off by a banshee in a mansion yeah like banshees thrive on being a in a kind of like a bottleneck scenario where they can control the party easily in conclusion putting it all together i think that this monster is a sort of litmus test for whether or not your party knows how to play DD. so in this admittedly kind of rare scenario where you started at level one with new players if you've done your job right by the time the party is level four this is the encounter that tests the party on a whole range of things right so it tests your ability to position around a really mobile creature it tests your ability to do damage control once the banshee's done the whale you know do you know how to heal and handle stressful scenarios and then it tests your knowledge of damage types with all the resistances right it tests your ability to read what a creature does and adapt to how it ought to be, right? Yeah. And then moreover, I I really like how the Banshee immediately forces this tactical decision of trying to, where you, assuming the fighters rush in and a lot of them are dropped, you as the healer or the caster or whatever the remaining party member are put in this scenario where your, your turn is either spent on trying to pin down what kills the Banshee faster or try to fix all of the people that are dropped or frightened. Yeah, it's it's that horrifying moment of like, do I think the Banshee's going to kill them before I can kill it? Do I need to help them? Yeah, and you're trying to spend... And then uh, in that entire time, you're like, do the attacks that I have, which one of these will even work? Yeah. Because you're pressured to finishing it off as quickly as possible. God forbid the entire party drops except like the one spellcaster in the back who's just like, uh yeah yeah there's <laughs> there's a chance and then again that's part of your that puts the onus on you as the dm to not 
go for trying to keep, wipe the party immediately. I think yeah. the Banshee is best used when you drop maybe like two or three party members and then everybody's like, fuck, you know, the remaining, you know, two or three party members are trying to scramble mm-hmm. to fix it up. And, and then and again, this all happens in like three rounds. Yeah. So the Banshee does wail, does horrifying visage, and then swoops in and tries to murder what's there. It's very quick, it's very elegant, it's very effective. I think the Banshee is the best monster we've done so far. Yeah, the Banshee's probably my favorite. Again, and that's just the mechanics, right? Even from the lore, the lore is interesting because it has that human, you know, kernel of truth, that, like, vanity in it. And then yeah. the art is also kind of solid and thoughtful, having all of the natural world stuff and all the the, the natural theming, the kind of unverse, unversed Kingdom Hearts! <laughs> The uh, the inverse of a uh, a regular elf in it. I think that on the whole, you know, and especially judging on like the Azer curve, this is a really successful monster in every avenue. Yeah, and this is I actually I think this is the first monster, at least like one with the CR so low, the first monster, and maybe one of the only monsters we cover where you could bring this in at any point in the game, no matter how far along or how high level the party is, and it would be just as effective. Yeah, yeah, it's it remains relevant, and throwing in some extra undead into this fight drastically makes it harder. <laughs> Fast undead, like yeah. It, it a, really, a banshee and two ghouls is enough to actually kill, like, a whole party. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really makes me want, like, a, a recurring antagonist banshee. I know it doesn't really work that way because of the, the being stuck in your past, right? So, like, once yeah. you leave five miles, it can't really do anything. But uh, it really makes me want some sort of, I don't know, to make a character out of this banshee because I, the monster stat block is very effective and very interesting to play with. Yeah. Any uh, more thoughts on the Banshee? I think that's kind of, that figures it all out for the most part. I think I've said everything I need to say in so many words. Yeah, there was there was just one other thing that we talked about like way early on in the lore. You said that you wished there was a mechanical kind of interpretation of turning people into Banshees. Yeah. Uh, I would imagine you'd put it on Corrupting Touch. Oh, and do it like Aboliths, where it's kind of like a disease of some yeah. sort. Yeah, yeah. Or like... um. We're going pre this version of the podcast podcast, but mm. like how uh, ghouls in the Tome of Beasts have kind of a a ghoul disease. Yeah. Like there's some sort of banshee curse yeah. illness. Or it could just be a curse, right? So like remove curse exists as a as yeah. a spell in D D, so we could just yeah. have it be an actual curse. Straight up be a corrupting touch, make a saving throw or you're cursed. Yeah. I think uh, that might be a fun little detail to to attach to the lore of it and, you know, maybe have it be only work on elves or something like that. <laughs> I was going to say super specific on what it can affect. Yeah. You could have a the saving throw for the curse be incredibly easy for anybody who is not an elf, but an elf, it would be like a five higher, ten higher DC yeah, for maybe. the corruption. I like the idea of maybe having a, a low DC curse and then having the effect of the curse be really bad. That feels kind of like how banshees work, right? It's a it's a low chance of something really horrible happening. Yeah, like a 25% chance max. Yeah. <laughs> but if it happens, you've got two days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, something like that. That would be cool.
Thank you so much for listening to our latest installment of Tooth and Nail Monsters podcast. If you liked what you listened to, go ahead and uh, do whatever it is that people do in this day and age when they like things I don't fully understand. Uh, feel, <laughs> you know, we're, we, we sit ourselves, we're throned upon, we're the greatest show on Nerdsmith. <laughs> we're the kings of Nerdsmith.com if you like us. Go and donate, or um, go and subscribe to us if you feel so inclined. Yeah, subscribe to Nerdsmith. There's a lot of real good stuff on there, and you can support us. This week, why not go and check out Dear DM by our really rad chap by the name of Joe Collins. Basically, uh, I believe it's a monthly or, you know, every two weeks podcast where uh, Joe Collins interviews a DM, and they talk about pretty much anything in D&D. So if you, if you listen to this... You're like, Travis and Orion, I want to listen to more D&D stuff. I'd be like, well, listen to the rest of Tooth and Nail. And then you'd be like, but I've already <laughs> listened to that. I'm a real big fan. I'd be like, go check out Dear DM. Yeah, uh, Dear DM. It's good for your soul. Yeah. Yeah. It I don't think f- that's his tagline, but it's his tagline now. Yeah. Joe, hit me up. Yeah. <laughs> Our fucking garbage marketing. <laughs> Countless heroes. It beats getting stabbed in the neck. <laughs> So until next time, the creature comfort for this one is smash all the mirrors in your house because the one thing worse than a banshee (laughs) is a really mad banshee. Well, hold on. It's a creature comfort. It's not like, don't. Listen, yeah, smash all the mirrors in your house because you're beautiful and you don't need to look at yourself. You're beautiful no matter what. Yeah, the creature comfort is self-care. Yeah. You're beautiful. Don't worry about it. Get yourself a hot chocolate. Didn't I already end an episode recently Look, with Get Yourself a Hot Chocolate? every single episode, we're going to have hot chocolate. We're just going to, everyone, always have hot chocolate and always remember you're beautiful. Yeah. The end. <laughs> Ba-da-da-da. Da.